This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include mature themes and negative cultural values, including patriarchy, sexism, and classism. The views of the characters do not reflect the views of the author. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 363. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, fresh off the writing desk. I'll also tell you about my journey as a writing professional. More on that later in the show. But first, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 14 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Honor and Delphinia discovered that they had not been recaptured by House Drowling or its associates. The airship Mariposa and its captain, Marisol Vasquez, had come to Malin Station to rescue them. Also aboard are Natasha and Alex, who shared an emotional reunion with Honor, Alex's mother, Yasmin, Delphinia's grandmother, Countess Harcourt, Duke Thomas of House Hassan, and the Duke's court mage, the wizard Araba. Natasha's effort to summon help has paid off, and since the police have shut off all lines of communication into and out of Malin, House Drowling and Lord Tyrrell are unaware that their plot has been discovered. This has created an opportunity that Araba hopes to exploit. Right now, she can tell that Honor is under a mind-control enchantment, an illegal spell that the Drowlings were permitted to learn for the sake of the war effort. However, if the Drowlings find out that their plot has been exposed, they will quietly unravel the spell without its victims ever knowing they were affected. The testimony of one minor noblewoman and a wizard of common birth will not be enough to persuade a jury of what they have done, not when measured against the word of a war hero like Tyrrell or a prominent house leader like Viscount Drowling. Araba has a counterspell that will blow up the enchantment before the Drowlings can unravel it. If she can trigger it at the right moment, then all of the Drowlings' victims will immediately realize that their minds were under attack. It will be impossible for the Drowlings to hide what they have done, or how many nobles they have done it to. But the plan has two tricky requirements. First, the counterspell must be triggered when the enchantment is actively in use, or the counselors won't feel anything. Second, it requires Honor to act as a sympathetic link between Erebus' counterspell and the larger enchantment. So unless Honor walks back into Drowling's chalet with the mind-control spell intact, they won't be able to catch the conspirators red-handed, which means they'll be free to try something like this again later. 
Alex was vocally opposed to the idea of using Honor as a sapper in a magical minefield. Honor barely escaped the Drowling's mind control once, and that was when they weren't actively paying attention to her. It isn't fair to ask her to risk her life and sanity again. But Natasha thought of a way to protect Honor, in much the same way Delphinia's crucifix protected her. She pulled out the butterfly amulet that Honor had entrusted to her, and showed it to Araba. The purpose of the amulet, she explained, was to show a person their true self. Once, many years ago, it showed Yasmin that she was a woman, though she had been assigned male at birth, and had inspired her to take the androgyne curse. Yasmin had given the amulet to Honor's mother, Sylvia. It helped her to realize that she was exclusively attracted to women, and could never be happy in a heterosexual marriage. That had given Sylvia the courage to ask for a divorce from Lord Bellevue, though doing so came at a terrible cost. Now, Natasha reasoned, it would boost Honor's image of her true self, so that she would be able to resist the enchantment's attempts to reshape her into something else. Araba examined the butterfly necklace, and while she couldn't entirely understand its magic, which seems to be divine in origin rather than arcane, she was pretty sure it would do what Natasha described. Based on this assessment, Duke Thomas left the decision up to Honor. If she's willing to take the risk, they'll carry out Araba's plan. Otherwise, they should still be able to save the Council, but the Drawlings and Tyrrell will likely go unpunished, since Thomas won't be able to prove what they were up to. Honor agreed to go forward with the plan, but there was another factor in play that only she and Natasha were aware of. When Honor entrusted her butterfly amulet to Natasha, she said that it belonged to a different version of herself, not Honor the noblewoman, but the Honor who wanted a DS covenant with Natasha. Honor told her that if she ever allows that version of herself to come to the fore again, then it will be for keeps. The public Honor, the proper lady, will be a mask, a costume, and underneath it she will be Natasha's, always. When Natasha is ready to make that commitment, when she is ready to be Honor's mistress in truth, then she has only to put the amulet on her to claim honor as her own. A lot has happened since they had that conversation, and as Natasha approached honor with the amulet in hand, honor reminded her of her promise. I have never forgotten it, Natasha said, and I am ready. And she slipped the chain over honor's head. Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 14 Infiltration It was a clear night, but the moon had not yet risen above the mountains as the Mariposa approached the Drowling Chalet. They came in from the southwest, flying close to the earth and snaking through valleys to stay out of sight. This was a risky tactic for an airship, but Captain Vasquez assured them all that she had become accustomed to it during the war. Daring pilots could make a handsome profit smuggling supplies behind enemy lines, and Vasquez had apparently done quite well for herself. She certainly seemed confident as she stood at the tiller, calling out commands to her crew, 
periodically flipping levers and turning wheels whose purpose Honor could not fathom. Wizard Araba stood on the forward observation deck, her Ifana in hand, putting her air magic to its most literal use. She stilled the gusts and updrafts around them, making a channel of calm, still air for the Mariposa's engines to drive them through. Spells danced from her fingertips and the tip of her blade, rippling off into the night sky, like a conductor directing a symphony. Honor was in awe. When they had come as close as they dared, Captain Vasquez dropped a set of grappling lines, stopping the Mariposa above a dense stand of trees. As the crew worked to secure the ship, Honor and Natasha found a quiet room a few doors down from the bridge. The big woman wrapped her arms around Honor and held her tightly. I wish you did not have to go, she said, her voice rough. Not when I have just gotten you back. I know, Honor said, leaning into her chest. But I have to do this. Father is in danger, and no one else can do it for me. I understand. Natasha reached down and turned Honor's face toward hers. There was a quiet vulnerability in her stone-gray eyes. I am sorry that I kept secret from you. Can you forgive me? Honor smiled up at her, reassuring. I already have. Can you forgive me for being an awful harridan who would not listen? Natasha grinned. I already have, she said, and kissed her. Honor moaned against her mouth and boldly thrust her tongue past Natasha's lips. Natasha moaned back, and her tongue wrestled with Honor's for a long, delicious moment. When they parted, though, she gave Honor a chiding look. Naughty, she said, though her eyes glinted with amusement. Perhaps I need to punish you when we get home. Honor grinned back at her. I shall look forward to it, mistress. A knock sounded at the door. Honor? Delphinia's voice called. It's time. Natasha cupped the side of her face in one big hand, ran her thumb tenderly over Honor's chin. Go. I believe in you. Honor turned her head and kissed Natasha's palm. Then that is all I need, she said, and left. She and Delphinia went with Araba to the cargo hold, where the lift cage was waiting for them. The crewman they had met before, Billy, was once more on duty, and he held the door open for them as they boarded the lift. Smarty brave what you're doing, miss, Billy said, his eyes bright with worry. You be careful now, right? Honor's stomach flip-flopped, but she gave him what she hoped was an encouraging smile. I shall do my best, Billy. The crewman's eyes drifted down to Honor's chest, where the butterfly amulet still rested outside her clothes. Honor had worn it proudly since the moment Natasha placed it around her neck, quietly advertising her new identity as Natasha's submissive, though only she, Natasha, and Alex knew its meaning. The design seemed to mean something to Billy, however, because a tangled web of emotions flitted across his face as he looked at it. Mariposa means butterfly, you know, he said at last. Did you show the cap when you were wearing it? I think she'd like it. Yes, she seemed as if she'd seen one like it before, Honor said, 
She tucked the amulet inside her shirt for safety, letting it rest against her bare skin. Do take care, Billy. You as well, ma'am, Billy said. Then he shut the door to the cage and cranked it shut. Strap in now, my ladies. Ain't got no more in tower out here, so it might be a bit of a bumpy ride. Honor and the others obediently fastened their seat restraints, but Wizard Araba seemed quietly amused as they did so. She took out her Arthana and wove a quick spell, which wrapped the lift cage in a spiderweb of shimmering light. As the lift descended on its cables, Honor could indeed see the Mariposa gently swaying back and forth in the wind, but the cage remained as steady as the lift in Townsend Tower. They passed through the trees with no more than a light brush against some of the snow-covered branches, and were on the ground in moments. Honor had wondered how they were to get out of the cage on their own, and if Araba would use magic to open the external latch. Before she could ask, though, Delphinia removed a mitten and reached up inside two bits of overlapping metal where the door met the frame. Honor heard the click of a hidden catch release, and the door swung open. How did you know about that? she asked as they stepped out onto the snow. I didn't, Delphinia said. But it stood to reason that there must be a way to open the door from the inside. To her credit, she did not say this in as condescending a manner as she might have done. Honor wondered if Delphinia was becoming a marginally less terrible person. We'll have to walk from here, I'm afraid, Erebus said. The trap I placed inside Drowling's mind control spell is subtle, but flight magic is not. They'd see the weave on you as soon as you got there. I wish you hadn't mentioned that, Honor sighed, as they began trudging after the wizard through the snow. Now it's all I can think about. Don't fuss, Delphinia said. It's just a quick hike up to the saddle over there and back down. I'd have thought a country girl such as yourself would be used to such exertion. It's rather more exertion when one's legs are a foot shorter, Honor complained. And we ought to have snowshoes. Just remember that you volunteered for this, Delphinia said. You could be in a stateroom on the Mariposa just now, snuggling with your dear companion. Honor froze in her tracks. She looked at Araba, but the wizard was still walking steadily ahead of them. If she had heard Delphinia, she gave no sign. It took Honor a moment to find her voice. I... I'm quite sure I have no idea what you're talking about. Delphinia chuckled. Not her nasty laugh, but still definitely at Honor's expense. <laughs> you are a terrible liar, Bellevue. Did you really think you were fooling anyone after that reunion you had? I've seen lovesick poets who showed less ardor than your Vietian. A race not known for their effusiveness, I might add. And that look on your face when she put the necklace on you. She shook her head. At least I know now why you were so despondent before. That one was eating at me. A chill set into Honor's bones that had nothing to do with the cold. Delphinia, I... Delphinia held up a hand. Honor, listen to me. I truly do not care. We have more important things to worry about than who is canoodling with whom. That made sense under the circumstances, but Honor was still wary. How do I know you won't use this against me at a later time? 
Delphinia's exquisitely sculpted face parted in a broad, rather toothy grin. It was an alarming sight. Why, Honor, why on earth would I do that when we are both on the same side? Honor swallowed back the lump in her throat. She did not exactly feel reassured. Right. Of course. Silly me. Delphinia stepped past her to follow Araba, patting Honor lightly on the shoulder as she did so. Come on, puppy. We have work to do. After a moment, Honor followed her. Even with the relatively short distance, it took them over an hour to make their way back to the outskirts of the chalet. They were still half a mile out when they spotted a line of people with lanterns and torches, each one spaced about twenty feet apart, slowly combing their way up the hillside. They've set out a search party for us, Delphinia said brightly. How very considerate of them. Wizard Araba turned and gestured for Honor and Delphinia to go ahead of her. Right then, just as we planned, she said. You remember how to give the signal? Honor nodded and gestured to the sapphire earrings Araba had given her. Pinch the back of the stud three times, then tap the stone. Good. Wait until everyone's together and you can feel Drowling actively using the spell. It will be sometime during Lord Tyrrell's speech, I expect. That will create maximum impact when the spell is disrupted. Try to get near the center of the group if you can. It will help the counterspell to propagate. I shall do my best, Honor promised. Right. Off you go, then. Araba gestured with her dagger and muttered a word Honor didn't know. The air rippled around her, and then the wizard disappeared. Honor watched a line of footprints take shape in the snow as the veiled Araba crept over to wait beside a large spruce. Honor kicked the snow around to hide the tracks, then proceeded down the hill with Delphinia. A ripple of excitement ran through the search party as Honor and Delphinia came into view. The group was a mixture of guests, staff, and members of House Drowling, and all of them seemed immensely relieved that the girls had been found alive and well. Several of the guests had medical training from their time in the war, and insisted on checking Honor and Delphinia thoroughly for frostbite or any other maladies. As the fuss died down, Delphinia spoke for both of them, explaining that they had gone for a hike that afternoon, but had gotten lost in the woods after nightfall. The scion took complete responsibility for this misadventure, and apologized profusely for causing everyone so much trouble and worry. With their rescuers at last reassured of their health and safety, the girls were ushered back to the main lodge. The banquet had been postponed while the rescue effort was underway, so House Drowling was forced to make an exception to its rule about men and women not fraternizing after dark. Everyone packed into the main hall, where the fireplaces had all been lit and long banquet tables had been set up to hold all the guests. A stage had been constructed at the front of the hall, and a table stood in the center of it, with three chairs facing the audience. As soon as they entered the building, Honor could feel the renewed pressure of Lady Drowling's spell. She could sense the intrusive thoughts pressing in at the edges of her mind, telling her to be quiet, to be meek, to be obedient. In response, her amulet warmed against her chest, and she had a vivid image of herself dressed as a lady's maid, worshipping at the feet of her mistress.
She almost laughed. Yes, I shall be obedient, she thought, directing her attention toward the enemy spell. But not to you. Lord Bellevue was visibly relieved when he spotted them, and he rose from his seat and caught Honor in a tight embrace. He said nothing for several seconds, then put his mouth close to her ear. My dear daughter, he said, his voice low and full of emotion. You are a grown woman now, and I have no wish to stop you from having adventures. But please tell someone where you are going. If you persist in vanishing like this, you are going to be the death of me. Honor smiled and pressed herself a little tighter against him. I will try, father. Thank you. They parted. Lord Bellevue returned to his seat, and nothing more was said on the matter. Honor and Delphinia took their assigned places, and the waitstaff soon began bringing out courses. Two chairs sat empty next to Father and Delphinia. Will Lord Tyrrell not be joining us? Delphinia asked. I have not spoken with him since this afternoon, Father said. His eyes were still bright with worry. He has been upstairs with Lord Drowling, and there is still no sign of Graham. Oh dear, Delphinia said, with a convincing imitation of concern. I do hope he is all right. Honor kept her expression carefully neutral, pretending to be engrossed in the soup course. The last they had heard before leaving Malin Station was that Graham was being taken back to the city in police custody. Honor had not gotten the whole story yet from Natasha and Alex, but the charges had something to do with assault and kidnapping, to say nothing of his involvement in the drowling plot. For now, she reassured herself that both Alex and Natasha were safe and sound, and her troublesome cousin was not her concern. The last of the search parties joined them in the hall by the time the fish course was brought out. Finally, their hosts appeared, along with Cousin Tyrrell, who took a seat with the drowlings at the table atop the stage. Tyrrell scowled and sat stiffly in his chair throughout the dinner, his agitation obvious. The Viscount and Viscountess both smiled and spoke pleasantly to their guests, but Honor kept stealing glances at them throughout the meal. It might have been her imagination, but she thought she saw a quiet tension in their postures, a hardness in their eyes that their smiles did not touch. Once Lady Drowling looked up sharply in Honor's direction, as if sensing her eyes on her. Honor quickly shifted her gaze to look past the woman, pretending to study the tapestries instead. Honor's anxiety crept gradually in on her, manifesting as a knot growing in the pit of her stomach. She wanted this to be over. She worried that the Drowlings would find out where she and Delphinia had gone. She worried that one of their staff had spotted the Mariposa and would bring back word of the intruders in their airspace. She worried about Wizard Araba, waiting under a veil somewhere on the grounds, masking herself from the Drowlings' wards. Honor did not know enough about magic to know what that entailed, but it sounded difficult and dangerous. She did not know what would happen to Araba if she were caught trespassing. She hoped that the Drowlings were distracted enough, between their guests and the forbidden magic they were wielding, that Araba would go unnoticed. The worries piled up inside her, crowding out her appetite. She left the main course half unfinished and turned away the dessert course with barely a glance. Fortunately, Lord Bellevue seemed preoccupied enough with his own worries that he did not ask about honors. 
How much has the Drowling's magic done to him? She wondered. It was difficult to tell. His normally boisterous good humor was not in evidence, true, but he'd just had a terrible fright when his daughter went missing in the woods after dark. On top of that, his heir had not joined them when he said he would, and he had a difficult vote in the council waiting for him on Monday. Since she and Delphinia had returned, he had not said or done anything that honor could blame on mind magic. But that's the trouble, isn't it? It won't be obvious. If it were obvious, it would be discovered, and the plan would fail. What Delphinia was thinking through all this, Honor had no idea. The young scion watched the people around them with a cool, detached interest, as if she were observing the reptiles at the vivarium. If she was worried, she did not show it. At last, Cousin Tyrrell stood up and took center stage. He held up an odd little wand of some kind— at the top of which were a pair of intersecting brass loops that somewhat resembled a gyroscope. A web of fine wires was strung between the loops, and at the center of this web was a quartz crystal perhaps two inches long. The crystal was glowing with a faint rose-colored light. A fresh wave of fear seized Honor at the sight of this device. Was this another weapon the Drowlings intended to use against the counselors? It was too late to warn Araba, too late to change the plan— Tyrrell held the wand up to his lips and spoke. Hello. Can you all hear me in the back? The crystal's light fluctuated with every word, and the old general's voice echoed dramatically through the hall, much louder than it should have been. People at the back of the hall nodded and raised their hands in agreement. Tyrrell nodded, allowing himself a tight little smile. Very good. On behalf of our lovely hosts the Viscount and Viscountess. I want to thank you all for joining us this weekend. Honor sank back into her seat in relief. Not a weapon, then. Just another bit of arcane showmanship, albeit a practical one. Cousin Tyrrell proceeded to offer a long and tedious welcome, calling out each of the members of the Council of Peers in order of prominence. Honor kept her eyes on Lord and Lady Drowling, watching for any hint of a spell being cast. Words muttered under their breath, a ritual dagger or other arcane focus being drawn, a pinch of some reagent between the fingers. As far as she could tell, however, they were just watching Tyrrell. Tyrrell reached the end of his introductions and led the group in a round of applause. Honor sat up a little straighter. She casually brushed back a lock of hair that had fallen over her ear, exposing the earring that Wizard Araba had enchanted. Now we come to it, she thought. I am so very glad that you all could be here, Tyrrell said. This weekend has truly been a reminder of all that is best about our peerage. Fellowship, hospitality, and good, honest family values. Here our ladies have had a chance to relax and enjoy the company of their friends, though some of them may have been a bit too adventurous for their own good. He looked in Honor's direction as he said this, his face crinkling in what he probably thought was an indulgent smile. There was a smattering of chuckles from the crowd. He continued, Fortunately, there were plenty of strong, brave lads here who were ready to come to their rescue. And here, too, we see the virtues of our class. Courage and dedication and defense of the innocent and the helpless. 
He raised his bushy eyebrows and lowered his voice to a conspiratorial tone, though the magic amplifier still made it reverberate through the hall. Gentlemen, there is to be a dance this evening. I am sure these young ladies will be keen to show their appreciation for those who rescued them from the cold. More chuckles, and some solicitous glances from the men in the crowd. Honor forced a smile in return, but she felt a hard anger stirring underneath. You have no idea who I am or what I can do. I am neither innocent nor helpless, and I already have the only defender I need. Tyrrell spread one hand out to the side, as if to take in the whole group in the hall around them. This weekend you have all enjoyed the simple pleasures of our way of life. Our traditional way of life. When you go back to the city tomorrow, with its noise and smog and filth, both physical and spiritual, I hope you will remember this time. Remember the good that is still to be had in the old ways, and do not let them slip away. Do not be so hasty to toss aside our traditions and follow the siren song of progress. We fought two great wars to hold on to our way of life, so let us hold on to it. Let us keep it for our children, and our children's children. Thank you. There was a round of polite applause, and Tyrrell bowed briefly to the crowd. Then he handed the amplifier back to Lord Drowling and turned to walk off the stage. Honor realized several things in quick succession. First, that this was the end of Tyrrell's speech. He had not even mentioned the succession bill, only alluded to it briefly. Considering the effort and expense that had gone into this weekend, Honor had expected him to work much harder to make his case. Second, that the Drowlings had not exerted their power during the speech. Honor could still feel Lady Drowling's magic at the back of her mind, chirping its agreement with Tyrrell's words about tradition and values, but there was no push, no effort to hammer the point into the listeners' minds. Third, taken together, the first two led to a disturbing conclusion. If Tyrrell did not feel the need to press his case, and if the Drowlings were not using their mind magic to amplify that case, then it must be because the work was already done. Honor and Delphinia had no way of knowing what Lord Drowling had said or done to the counselors before the women rejoined them. They likewise had no idea what had been done in the hours that they had been gone from the chateau. But Honor did know that Lady Drowling had been using her influence on the ladies throughout their visit here first in their dreams, and then in their conversations that morning. They don't need to condition the whole group at once, she realized. They've been doing it gradually, all weekend. Fourth, and most importantly, Honor realized that this was the last moment when the whole group would be together. After this, people would begin to wander off, for cigars and brandy, or an early bedtime— especially the counselors who were all older men. If they didn't use the counterspell now, they would miss the most important victims of the Drowling's magic. But if the Drowlings were not using that magic actively, the counterspell might not work as intended. All of these realizations came to honor in a matter of seconds, and she saw what she had to do. Before terror could freeze her in place, she leapt from her seat and shouted, "'Cousin Tyrrell!' You are wrong. 
And that's the end of chapter 14. Come back next time when Honor faces down her cousin Tyrrell as the fate of the council hangs in the balance. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Jim Butcher said, It's easy to see why I love this work. I am essentially little more than a ridiculous human being who has somehow swindled somebody into paying me to write down conversations with my imaginary friends. So, let's see what my imaginary friends have said to me this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of December 24th through December 30th. I wrote 5,432 words this week, over the course of 8 hours, for an average writing speed of 679 words per hour. I wrote on all 7 days this week. I made excellent progress this week on All the World of Fire, completing one chapter and writing most of a second. I continued the practice of doing my daily writing right before bed, which seems to be when my brain is the most relaxed and able to focus. Kevin is making progress in helping Ember to master her powers, but the Psy Collective's elders have not given up on bringing Ember into the fold, and they are pulling strings in the background to get it done. Meanwhile, Abby is continuing her investigation into Ember's past, and has located a key witness who can shed light on what happened to Ember, if they can figure out how to reach her. I'm now in Chapter 15, and the manuscript is just shy of 40,000 words. Over on the Patreon feed, Adam Waldron is making progress on his third piece of artwork for Troubled Minds. This is going to be a full-color, pin-up-style portrait of Jenna Hartman, the teenage succubus who allies herself with Abby to take down the nightmare. Adam shared a couple of sketches with me over the weekend, and I like the direction we've settled on for this piece. It should be available on the Patreon feed by the time you hear this. Exclusive bonus art is just one of the perks you can get for supporting me on Patreon. All of my patrons receive a special annual holiday card as a thank you for your patronage. Support me at the $3 a month level or higher, and you'll get access to the first drafts of my stories as I'm writing them, plus sneak peeks, character bios, cover reveals, and other cool stuff. To get started, go to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. Take a look at the donation tiers and choose the one that's right for you. You can make your pledge in a wide variety of international currencies, and if you prepay for a year in advance, you'll get one month for free. Huge thanks to all of you who continue to support me. You help make this show possible. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, the fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. 
If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.